reading Luke 9, 23 through 26. Luke 9. And he said to, to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes for me in glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We are grateful that each of you have, uh, has chosen to be here today. Uh, it is uh, the best way, in my estimation, to begin uh, a new year. And it is the best way to begin any new week, uh, to take the first day of the week and spend it assembling with the saints uh, and offering our worship to God. We're glad that you're here for that. Charles Sheldon published a book in 1896. The book was titled, In His Steps. And the book tells the fictional story of a church that decided that it would make every life decision, each individual member would make every life decision based on the answer to the question, what would Jesus do? And that book was very popular uh, right after it was published. And then about a hundred years later, in the mid-1990s, it saw a bit of a resurgence in popularity. And the phrase, what would Jesus do, became very popular. Uh, maybe many of you uh, have seen, perhaps some of you have, uh, some of the uh, bracelets, there were bracelets <clears throat> that, uh, that had WWJD on them and, uh, and other forms of jewelry and bumper stickers and, and things like that where people were focusing attention. Question, what would Jesus do? Well, there's certainly nothing wrong with that concept. Uh, but one of the things that I find interesting uh, as it pertains to the application of that concept if we're unfamiliar with what Jesus actually did say and unfamiliar with what He actually did, then how can we accurately and properly answer the question, what would He say and what would He do in the present time? And that is certainly worthy of our consideration. Because... The Jesus that exists in the minds of a lot of people, too many people, bears very little resemblance to the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. And what I mean by that is this. You, you talk to people or you hear people today that are, that are referencing Jesus as, as He might respond to certain cultural uh, things that are happening around us today and 
moral uh, concepts and ideas. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to Jesus and they'll say things about Him that are really not true. People have a concept, many of them, of Jesus that He was that he was a good man, but really nothing more than that. And that and he was just as, uh, as susceptible to sin as anyone else. And by susceptible, they mean guilty. That, that he was a good man, yes, but, but he was not a sinless man. And some people have a concept of Jesus that... Um, that he was, as far as his outlook on life and how he dealt with people, he was a very pluralistic individual. By, by pluralism, we're, we're saying that, um, uh, that he viewed all worldviews uh, as equally valid, as, as equally uh, right. He was, a, he was kind of a live and let kind of guy that didn't really, didn't really matter to Jesus how a person lived. He was not concerned with that. He would not be one who would condemn another person. He wouldn't be one who would tell somebody else that they're wrong. He was very uh, politically correct, non-judgmental. Jesus was not about to calling into question the lives of other people and let live non-judgmental. That's the Jesus that exists in the minds of a lot of people. And you'll hear that times as people defend their immorality. And they'll appeal to Jesus some kind of justification for their immoral behavior. Which tells us that far too many people don't really know what Jesus was really like. And so if people try, if people come to the table with that kind of a concept about Jesus, and then they ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? If they're answering that question based upon a false concept of who Jesus is, then they're going to get a wrong answer to the question, what would Jesus do? Our purpose, by emphasis for 2017, is going to be trying to better understand who Jesus really is. And so, as we've had uh, for a number of years, even before I came, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be kind of an, an overriding theme of emphasis in sermons and classes as we go through this year. 2016, we emphasized a lot of fundamentals as we, uh, we, we operated under the theme of this I know. Remember that? Confidence and certainty in an age of doubt. We looked at a number of passages in the Bible where the Bible says, this I know, or I know this, or we know that. And we focused on identifying those things that can give us certainty in life. For 2017, our theme is in His steps, following the example of Jesus. And in the process of here, God, we're going to take time each... Um, each month, at least, we're going to devote one sermon, usually on the first Sunday of each month, but that'll probably vary. And to hopefully two things: one, focus on various characteristics of Jesus. What was Jesus like? 
And second, we're going to take those characteristics and explore ways that we can incorporate those characteristics into our lives as individuals who have devoted themselves to following Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. We've got to know who Jesus was. And so that's going to be our focus in His steps, following in the footsteps or following the example of Jesus. And so by way of introduction today, on this, the first day of this new year, we're going to talk about the concept of following Jesus. What it means. And to do that, we're going to focus on Luke chapter 3, and in specifically verse 23. The, the, the text was a little broad. We're going to focus specifically on the 23rd verse. And these characteristics that are a part of what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow His example and walk in His steps. And so, there are three of those characteristics from that verse. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me. You want to be my disciple. Let him, the one who wants to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's talk about denying self. We understand what it means to deny something. To say no to something. And I can be very good at that, personally. I can say no to the third piece of pie. I can deny the third piece, can't you? We're good at denying certain things. And we understand what it means. It means to resist, to say no to, to renounce, to disregard. And in some instances, even things as deep as owning, to disown something, to refuse to give thought or express concern for. Sometimes the idea of denying involves an individual affirming that they have no connection to something or someone. When it said, let a man deny himself, that word deny, 923, is the same word that described Peter's actions toward Jesus in Matthew 26. When Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And when later the text says that Peter denied Jesus, it's the same word. And so in that context, we understand what Peter did. He refused to affirm personal connection with Jesus. He wanted to distance himself from Jesus. He denied him. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? That's what you have to do with yourself. Deny yourself. Say no to yourself. Affirm no connection to yourself. What does that mean? Embedded in that concept of denying oneself is also the idea, or it really springs from the idea, that we belong to someone else. That, that I, as a Christian, 
am not my own. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to someone else. And there are passages aplenty that, that make that concept. Think about a few of them. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life, notice this, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul understood that to be a Christian involved a death. It involved him dying. And he said, he used it or, or expressed it in crucifixion terms. He says, I've been crucified right along with Jesus. Now, lest they misunderstand and think he meant physically, which would be an impossibility anyway, since he's writing a letter at the time. But he, he expounds on it further. He said, though I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Difference. It's not really... Me. It's not really I who live, it's Jesus who lives in me. And so, the life that I do live, I don't live it for myself. I live my life, I make my choices, I make my decisions, I direct myself based upon my trust, my faith in the one who died for me, gave his life for me. So Paul is basically saying, I don't live for me anymore. I died. He'll make the same point in Colossians chapter 3. When he said, beginning in verse 1, If then you are risen with Christ. Pulling from, incidentally, what he said in chapter 2 verse 12, that we are buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him. And so after making that statement, you've been baptized with Him, buried with Him, and raised with Him. He says, if then you are risen with Christ chapter 3, verse 1, then seek those things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you died. For you died. And your life is now hidden. It's hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ is our life, shall appear, then we'll appear with Him in glory. Notice all that terminology in there that talks about how we should view life. And it's not really about me. It's not really about what I want. It's about submitting my life to Him because of everything He's done for me. So if you've been risen with Christ, if you've come up out of that watery grave of baptism, then you seek the things that are above because you died. Remember? You died. And now your life is hidden. Christ is your life now. Chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul said, Jesus died for all. We thus judge that if, that if one died for all, then all were dead. And he died for all, that they which live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and rose again. That's pretty plain too. Jesus died so that those of us who live because of His death 
are really not to live for ourselves anymore. But we live for the one who died for us. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20? Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You've been bought. You've been purchased. So, therefore, glorify God in your body. All of these passages bring to bear the idea that when we made the decision to accept what Jesus offered us by way of salvation, when we said to Him, in essence, by our actions as well as our words, that I am dead in and I don't like that. And I don't want the consequences of that. I want to be released from that bondage and have the confidence of eternal reward when this life is over. And so I'm submitting myself to obedience to the gospel that I sins washed away and into the body of Christ. When I did that, I wasn't just doing that. I was also saying essentially to him, I am committing myself. I am embracing everything about you so that when it comes to the way I live, I will hit and or deny myself that I might completely and totally follow you. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, that's what you and I both committed ourselves to. So Jesus said, if any man would come after me, then let him deny himself. And that involves a lot more saying no to the third piece of pie. To deny oneself is basically to get inside your own self and find that ego and rip it out. Deny self. And then he said, in addition to that, the person that wants to come after me, deny self and take up his cross daily. You want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross every day. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to take up and carry One's cross. Now, the way that we have allowed that uh, idea to evolve is we'll, we'll use that terminology to refer to practically anything that is uh, burdensome. Anything that is a burden uh, to um, anything that's a burden to go through life with. Some of us bear the cross of dashing good looks. You know, it's just, you know, it's our cross to bear. You can laugh at that. It's okay. We talk about our crosses as things that are burdens. Well, it's not just that. Though there's some of that involved. But in order to truly grasp what it means to cross, we've got to go back and walk in some first century sandals for a little bit. 
when a, when a person was a condemned criminal, one who was condemned to death by crucifixion, those convicted criminals were forced to literally carry their cross, their implement of execution, through the streets, streets of the town that were lined with taunting and hissing crowds. You carried more than just a heavy piece of wood. So with you, shame, disgrace, embarrassment, humiliation. You carried that too because you had to walk through the streets carrying something that identified you as a convicted criminal who was deserving of nothing but death. And people responded to you that way. And so you were mocked, you were spit at, you were yelled at. There was a lot of shame and humiliation that came with carrying a cross. And we don't have anything that is completely identical to that in our culture. But occasionally we get close. You ever see someone who's been arrested and they're being transported from one facility to another and they've got on the orange coveralls? Perhaps they've got chains, handcuffs on their wrists, maybe even on their ankles. And they, they, they're escorted out of a police vehicle and into a building. And isn't it almost every time that that's happening and there are cameras there, what's the person doing? Trying to hide their face, aren't they? If, if they've got something in their hand, you know, a, a, a folder or papers or something, they're, they're covering their face. Why? Because... There's shame and embarrassment and humiliation that's associated with the orange coveralls and the chains. And people don't want their faces to be associated with that. They want to, they want to try to save some sense of, of whatever bit of dignity they've got left. And so they cover their faces because of the shame and the humiliation. Now, that's not identical to carrying a cross, but it's pretty close. The concept is at least the same. Because when you were a criminal, you not only bore the physical cross, you bore the humiliation and the embarrassment of being paraded before others and identified as a convicted criminal. So Jesus comes to us and He says, You want to be my disciple? you got to deny yourself. You also got to carry your, which is more than just carrying something or dealing with something in your life that is difficult. That's really not what carrying a cross is. The idea is if we want to follow Jesus, we need to be willing 
to endure whatever embarrassment, whatever humiliation, whatever ridicule that may come our way simply because we are identified as a Christian. Simply because we have chosen to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. And you know what comes with that? If you want to be vocal about your Christianity, you want to be vocal about your relationship to Jesus, you know what's going to come with that, especially in our culture? Ridicule. Shame. Embarrassment. But that's what carrying your cross is. Being willing to suffer disgrace and humiliation and dishonor simply because we have said, I belong to Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed of that. Hebrews 13 verses 12 and 13 says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go out to Him and bear the reproach that He endured. Hebrews 13, verse 13. Some created a Christianity that is very antiseptic. A Christianity that is very clean and very sterile, that never calls for bearing any kind of disgrace. We see that kind of cross and we want to run the other way. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple, you pick that thing up and you carry it. I carried one for you. What does it mean to carry your cross? It means that when you refuse to involve yourself, for example, in the filthy language of others, and they make fun of you for it, or they do it just because they know it's for you, And you face the ridicule, and you face the mockery. That's carrying your cross. When you refuse to join in the plot to stab the co-worker in the back, and so the rest of them just stab you in the back too. That's carrying your cross. You identify yourself as a Christian. Or you state your belief in the Bible on some particular subject, and people look at you like you've grown a third eye and ask you what planet you're from. And they call you a bigot or a homophobe or a mister or whatever simply because you stood up for a biblical principle and you face that kind of ridicule. That's taking up your cross. It's being willing to say, you know what, I believe in Jesus. And I follow Jesus. And I believe in the Bible. And here's what the Bible says. And and here's view, here's my take on this particular issue, and it reflects biblical principles, and you face the ridicule of your peers, that's taking up your cross. It's being willing to face whatever dishonor, shame, whatever embarrassment or humiliation the world wants to heap upon you because you've identified with Jesus who carried a real cross. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? That's what it takes. Yourself. You be willing to pick up and carry your cross. And then, number three, follow Him.
Follow him where? Well, he doesn't say. So I guess that means you follow him wherever. Interestingly, in the context of Luke 9, he had just told them in chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, he had talked about his death. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and rise the third day. Now, let him follow me. Even to that? Even he, he did that for you, right? He did it for me. So is it too much to ask for me to be willing to do the same for him? You know, we want the blessing. We want, we, we want the salvation. We want the forgiveness of our sins. We want confidence of, of heaven when this life is over. We want all of that. But some of us want that without also being willing to devote ourselves to the one who made that possible for us. The person we need to be is Simon, who walked up next to Jesus on that road and grabbed the cross and carried it. You think Simon was looked upon with uh, great admiration by the multitudes? That he would go help that convicted criminal? Carry his cross. I don't know that, that Simon was uh, was praised by the masses. But he helped the Lord carry a cross. Jesus said, You want to be my disciple, you got to do that too. See, the bottom line is that Jesus wants all of you. I mean that in two ways. He wants all of you in the, in the sense He wants all of you in this room. But individually, He wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wants all of you too. He wants every day that you live. And when you think about what He gave, is what He's asking for too much to ask? It's really not, is it? It was Jesus who on the cross, because He was on the cross, cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? He endured that so that we don't ever have to hear the words, depart from me. And if he was willing to do that for me, it's really not asking too much for me to allow somebody to make fun of me periodically because of my association with him. Some of us aren't even willing to do that. You want to make 2017 a good year? Walk in His steps. 
doesn't mean that will make 2017 an easy year. But the closer we walk to Him, the more benefit we gain by being close to Him. So don't run from the cross. Embrace the cross. Carry the cross. And one day you can carry that cross and lay it at His feet in exchange for a crown. Ready to do that. I hope so. If you're a Christian, maybe you need to rededicate yourself. Because maybe you've forgotten about that idea, about living for Jesus every day and letting Him have every part of you. If that's the case, take advantage of the opportunity, of the new opportunity to make some positive change in your life. If you're not a Christian and you're ready to pick up cross and follow Him, then deny yourself today and turn yourself over to Him. That involves repenting of your sins, turning from your sinful practices, devoting your life to Him and confessing Him, all of that based upon your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. And if you'll allow yourself to be immersed in water where you'll contact His blood, that blood will wash your sins away. And you'll stand before God justified. And if you're ready to make that step today, we're ready to help you do that. We invite you to come, stand and sing.